0: Good morning, brothers and sisters, fellow followers of Jesus. <laughs> I'm Gary, in case you don't know me, in case you haven't met me yet. I've been here for about six or seven months, I think. My wife and I just moved to uh, uh, Jesus People, the community across the street. Um, and I'm really glad to be here. I'm really honored uh, to be uh, to be able to share uh, the word with you this morning. So thank you, uh, Dave, for for Trusting me. And thank you all for trusting me and coming to to listen to this crazy preacher. Um, I'm also an artist. I taught art and was a preacher, a pastor for about four years. That was about all I could take. (laughs) I love preaching, though. I do, and, and actually, I should say, I love being a pastor, too. There were parts of it that I just absolutely love, and I, and I do miss, um, but, all right, so today I am going to share with you about uh, how to be like Jesus, about living in the uh, apprenticeship of the master, Jesus I'm going to give you a little prayer. I'm going to start you out with a little prayer that you all can pray anytime. Okay, anytime, day or night, any any moment. You can be in a crowded room. You don't have to worry about it because this prayer connects with your breath. You can you can remember it when you breathe, and, and it actually it comes from a scripture from Colossians uh, chapter 1:27, and in there it talks about uh, Christ in you, the being the hope of glory. And so I, I use this prayer in my own life sometimes when I'm just, just when I just want to reconnect with God's spirit. And it, and it serves real well as a breath prayer because Christ in you, Christ in me, say that with me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And it works really well as a breath prayer. You can breathe in and, and say Christ in me and breathe out the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Our passage today is about loving our enemies. It's about showing the love of Christ. It's about glorifying God. It's about bringing glory to God with our lives. And what is this thing that we call the Christian life if it's not to bring glory to God, right? It's not just about me and you building ourselves up to do a bunch of Jesus-y things. Rather, we're called to allow Jesus to live through us every moment of every day. It's not about me building myself up to bring glory to God, but it's about me giving myself up to Christ so that he can bring glory to God through me. We believe that Jesus is compelling. His life, his death, his resurrection are not only historical facts that if we believe them will somehow save us from our sins and prepare a place for us in heaven. These facts that we refer to as the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, these facts are are intended to be a present reality lived out in our lives every day. The scripture passage from today, if, if you just read it from a purely human perspective, might sound like the ravings of a lunatic. <laughs> I mean, really, love your enemies? Let people take stuff from you and don't expect it back? Who, who does that? Who says that? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says that. These words come from what is commonly called the Sermon on the Plain. This particular passage in Luke is called the Sermon on the Plain. It's it's basically Luke's version of a much larger uh, passage of scriptures, uh, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And some people might expect this to be kind of a, a New Testament version of the Ten Commandments. You know, there's a lot of similarities. Jesus goes up on the side of a mountain and he gives this, uh, this sermon about how to live, about how to live as Christians. It's, it's, it's almost comparable to Moses going up on the side of the mountain and giving uh, the Ten Commandments. In fact, there is an almost intentional reference to this, from particularly from Matthew. So it's pretty easy to hear teachings like this, these these things we've just read from Luke, and also the the passage in Matthew five, six, and seven. It's easy to hear them as this long list of dos and don'ts for us to attain being good Christians. In some places, Jesus even makes it harder. You know those passages where he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In Matthew chapter five, he even tells us we're supposed to be perfect. My like God is perfect. And starting in verse 43 of Matthew chapter five, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies." Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And then when you skip on down to verse 48 in chapter five there, he says, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. What does it mean to be perfect in, this, in these terms? Well, Jesus, Jesus uses the word therefore. <laughs> and whenever you see a therefore, you look to see what it's there for. <laughs> What's it there for? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect because he loves his enemies. He makes the sun to rise on even his enemies. He brings rain on even his enemies wait, wait, Jesus, are you telling me that I have to do more than just say the sinner's prayer? Are you telling me that I have to do more than just get, get baptized and then I am get to go to heaven? Are you saying that there's more to it than that? The thing that Jesus does is he does not just call us to conversion. You see, there's a difference between conversion and discipleship. Conversion is this. This is when we get a realization that we are sinners and we need God's mercy and grace. That's the first step, and sadly, a lot of Christians just stop there. Jesus also calls us to be disciples or followers or what I like to call apprentices. We've been apprenticed to the master. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. This is after Jesus' resurrection. He says this. He gives him, this is his send-off message to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make converts. No, he doesn't. You guys are all just agreeing with me. Nobody's saying, nobody's even saying, no, 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 that's not what it says. <laughs> no, he says, go and make Disciples make the followers of me make people help people to be followers of me well what does it mean to be an apprentice or a disciple of jesus well first i get to know him i mean something about jesus is attractive and compelling and i want to get to know him i want to get to know his life what his life was like we get to know that through the gospels through attending church and listening to sermons and and uh And really good podcasts. We get to know the way he died, and we get to know him as the one who didn't stay dead. (laughs) He resurrected. He rose again, and he lives forever. What do we do with that? And how do we respond to that? We talk about this initial conversion. We're attracted to the gospel and the fact that Jesus died for us and resurrected and lives forever. Now, after that initial conversion, you and I are invited into a life of Christ-likeness. We become apprenticed to the Master. The sermons here at Missio Day for the last uh, few weeks have all been about that being focused on Jesus and getting to know Jesus, about the fact that Jesus is compelling. And he invites us to want to get to know him. He invites us into his, into his kingdom, into the family of God. And what does Jesus do? Well, one of the things we see about his life is that he, he preached. He preached messages. He preached sermons. He taught people. He taught using parables. And he taught using this thing called the sermon. Which is crazy, you know, to have somebody standing in front of you giving a sermon, Right? <laughs> And listening to this thing, Jesus did that. Jesus did sermons. Sermons, by their very nature, expect a response on the part of those who hear them. Jesus' sermon here in Luke and the ones we see in Matthew's gospel are no different than that. Jesus expects a response from his followers, he expects his disciples to follow him, to want to become like him. Dallas Willard calls these sermons, particularly the the Matthew 5, 6, and 7 version, he calls them the curriculum for Christlikeness. The curriculum for Christlikeness. Now there's a little bit of a difference between the fact that Jesus is giving a sermon and me giving a sermon, or any other modern preacher giving a sermon. These differences are what's going to shape the rest of my sermon. Are you with me? That was my introduction. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the first difference. Jesus being the sermoner, the preacher, and me or any other person preaching to you. The first difference is that Jesus is not just preaching about an external God who demanded people to behave. Jesus was preaching himself, Jesus was talking about himself. Look at this thing. Look at some of these things from uh, Luke chapter six, from our passage today. Uh, In verse 27, it says, I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And verse 35, he reiterates this notion of loving your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Jesus is not just telling people to do these things. Jesus did these things. People who asked if Jesus was willing to heal them, received healing. Jesus gave his time to sinners. He even ate meals with them, much to the dismay of the religious leaders of his day. Look at how he treated Nicodemus and Matthew. These were hated tax collectors Look at how he ate with them, spent time with them, loved them. Jesus is not only telling us that we shouldn't condemn others, Jesus does not condemn others. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. What was his question that he asked her? Where are your accusers? Where are those who would condemn you? They're gone, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus loved those who hated him. Jesus loved his enemies. He not only gave his coat, but he gave the rest of his clothing as well to be, before he was hung on a cross. Jesus not only gave one cheek, but he was struck in both cheeks and other places as well. Not only was he struck by his enemies, but they literally spit in his face and they plucked out his beard. He gave himself fully over to them to be severely beaten. This sermon Jesus has given us here in Luke is basically a picture of his own attitude, of his own spirit. This is the Jesus we follow. This is the Jesus we're apprenticed to. He's the master This is the one that we're supposed to be following. We're pretty good with Jesus dying for our sins and preparing a place in heaven for us, but come on, let's be real. Who really wants to be like that? Jesus was not just preaching some external rules that God called people to follow and obey. He was revealing himself through these words in this sermon. All of Scripture leading up to this moment in Jesus' life, all of, this, all, of this, all of Scripture leading up to the Gospel, the Incarnation, when Jesus comes on the scene, all of it is, that has been leading up is, is finally, after hundreds of years of, of Scripture, of, of slavery, of exile, of priests and kings and prophets, it all coalesces into this one person who is very God of very God. Jesus is the very incarnation of God in the flesh. Jesus shows us what God is really like. And these, this passage shows us what Jesus is really like. What is God like? He's humble and vulnerable. He gives himself over to the point of death, even death on the cross. Okay, that was my first point and my second point. Here's the second difference. The other difference about Jesus as a preacher is This is a big difference, okay? Are you with me? Are you with me? This is a really big difference, okay? This is big stuff right here, okay? So if you don't catch anything else I say, I want you to catch this part right here. Jesus was not just an external person, a preacher telling us what to do. Jesus puts himself in us. Jesus is able to put his spirit in us his attitude, his mind, his way of seeing things, his way of doing things in our heart. Sit with that for just a second. He puts himself in you by his spirit. Very God of very God comes to live in you and me. Jimmy reminded us about this a few weeks ago. I I did take notes. I take notes when I listen to sermons. So I can remember stuff and this one was really good (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy He talked about us all having the spirit dwelling in us as Christians He told us that the indwelling Of the spirit of God's presence is with us at all times And he used this little example the chocolate milk metaphor. I love it Every Christian has a spirit But for some but for some of us it's like the chocolate milk that settled down into the bottom (laughs) It needs to be stirred up sometimes, right? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? That was good. Y'all took notes on that too, right? <laughs> we 100% have the Spirit, he said, but sometimes it needs to be stirred up. Paul even tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's talking about us having the mind of Christ He was not just presenting a religious platitude. We each have the potential and the privilege to think and act like Jesus because we have the very spirit, his very spirit, his very attitude living inside us. Jesus is residing. If you name the name of Christ, you're saying that Jesus is residing in me. Jesus is living in me. Jesus is not like any other preacher. He is able to take his spirit and put it in you and me. In fact, if you're a Christian, growing as a Christian, you should be becoming more and more aware of his spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit who lives in followers of Jesus is the mind of Christ, the very attitude of Christ. Now, I want to go back to the most difficult part of this passage the one that we try to explain away all the time, it's where he says, love your enemies. How can we do that? How can we do that? I mean, we can all admit, let's all admit, we don't love our enemies, right? I don't love my enemies. Do you love your enemies? <laughs> really? I mean, you know, even if you just say that, you say, I, I, I really struggle with that. How many of you are like me, you struggle with that? When Jesus says, love your enemies. Okay, good, I'm not the only one. Thank you. Even if I wanted to my want to my just I just wouldn't cut it. I Just can't do it My love is limited and human and selfish My own love is limited and human and selfish. I don't have what it takes to love like Jesus loves But his love is supernatural And you and I have access to this love. We have access to this love in our very own heart. If you don't believe me, look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. At the end of that verse, it says something like this. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God's love is poured into our heart not not my love not my human love not anyone else's love God's love is poured into our heart through the spirit that he has given to us We have access to the same love that Jesus had when he went to the cross You and I each one have access to that love. It's in your heart If you are a christian and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have access to it. Have I repeated that enough? <laughs> this very love, the love that went to the cross, lives in our heart. There, one more time. What the heck? Okay, I'm going to quote Pastor Jimmy again because I thought this was good. The spirit does not always change your feelings. Sometimes you have to step out in faith and do what's right. Again, remember I said, my love is not enough. My love is often based on my own feelings. And sometimes, like I said, we've all admitted already, we don't feel like loving our enemies, right? But the love that is able to love our enemies lives in us. And sometimes we have to step out into it. That love of the spirit that's been poured out into our hearts is real. And it's always right to act in love, even to our enemies. We may not feel like it, <clears throat> but doing something tangible in love for our enemies will most certainly stir up the spirit and the love of God that's already in our hearts. Just stepping out and doing it will stir it's like that chocolate milk gets stirred up. <laughs> Again, I'm not talking about friendship love because friendship love will not make a difference in those who were once my friends but are now my enemies. <clears throat> I'm sure that some of you can admit that or confess that over the past couple of years, you had people that used to be friends, but they're not friends anymore. That friendship love isn't able to cut it anymore. I know I've experienced that myself. I'm definitely not talking about romantic love because some of your enemies, some of our enemies may be former romantic partners, (laughs) can't talk about that love and by the way those love have an element of ego and selfishness to them don't they no the love we're talking about here is agape love the love of God this love as exemplified in Jesus looks something like this it is to sacrifice my own interest and well-being for the sake of another independent of what that other can offer me To sacrifice my own interest, I'm saying it again in case you want to write it down, or tweet it or something, I don't know. (laughs) To sacrifice my own interest and well-being for the sake of another, independent of what the other can offer me. That's the kind of love that Jesus gives us. It's not a general abstract love. Us Christians are pretty good at loving in the abstract. I love what G.K. Chesterton says, it's, easy, it's the easiest thing to love the starving Ethiopian child and it's hardest to love your neighbor. An abstraction that we're not really closely involved with merits our compassion, but the specific person in front of me can be much harder. And I'm not saying we shouldn't love those across, across the pond. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying... Again, let's be real. It's easier for us to love in abstraction than it is for us to love the actual person in front of us. Those people who used to be our friends or those neighbors. And especially, if it's hard to love our neighbors, it's hard to love our enemies. I mean, you and I are dependent on Jesus for the hereafter. I mean, we are in need of his forgiveness. And he offers that. We often fail To live up to his teaching and we need his forgiveness daily. That is another privilege we have as followers of Jesus. We can go to him every day and confess our sins and receive forgiveness. But we often fail to even try to live up to his teaching. Sometimes we see a verse like this, love your enemies, and we think, well, surely Jesus doesn't really expect me to do that. I mean, you know, he knows I'm human and really he, just, he went ahead and went to the cross for me so I don't really have to do that. Like we explain those things away. Again, G.K. Chesterton says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting It's been found difficult and left untried. And all the while, the chocolate milk, the chocolate remains down in the bottom of our little cup and doesn't get stirred up. And the world never gets to see what Jesus is really like. He remains a story on pages or something we talk about. I love... uh, The call to worship this morning and saying we are the body of Christ We are the exemplifiers of Jesus people who see us they see Jesus Because Jesus lives in us I hope you can kind of feel the weight of this a little bit Like this is not easy stuff. This is hard stuff But I'm not going to end there. I'm, I'm bringing it to a close now, okay? This is my conclusion. How do we do that? How do we get there? Well, it starts in prayer. I mean, it, it begins in prayer. Let's just start there. Jesus even qualifies his, his statement by saying, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Remember, we've been apprenticed to Jesus, He's our master it's probably a good thing to go to him and ask him how to do this stuff. We've not yet mastered the skills, right? I'm not, I've not mastered the skills of loving my enemy. I'm not up here preaching saying that I've done that. So we can admit, and we can admit to the Lord, but we can also admit that we, maybe, maybe just a little bit, maybe this sermon has stirred you up just a little bit to want to be more like Jesus, to want to have that kind of walk with Jesus the kind that loves enemies the kind that gives without expecting anything in return the kind of love that surrenders your own well-being for the well-being of another without expecting anything in return go to him in prayer and honestly ask him Jesus how do you do this stuff <laughs> Jesus, I want to be more like you. I've been apprenticed to you. I want to be more like you. How do you do you do this stuff? Honestly, ask him with a heart of sincerity. That's the first step. That's the beginning of the journey for you. I want to also invite you to do a little exercise, and you might be able to do this during our communion time. I want you to think about the uh, praying with your imagination. You guys all all remember Mr. Rogers, right? He taught us to use our imagination. Kind of tap into that. If you haven't used your imagination in a while, tap into that. Because it's very helpful in prayer. It can be a very helpful form of prayer. Using one of the gospel stories of Jesus encountering an enemy. Imagine yourself being there. You might think about something like Jesus having dinner at Matthew's house. He was a tax collector and he was a hated enemy of his people of the time. Imagine yourself in this story, you and Jesus are sitting down to share a meal with a tax collector. Imagine yourself being one of those Jewish people who hated tax collectors. And watch how Jesus acts while you're there in that space. Talk to Jesus in that space and ask him how he's doing that. And and let's let's up the ante just a little bit more. Maybe, maybe this isn't necessarily a, a biblical story, but you can still use this. Maybe instead of a tax collector, maybe Jesus is at the house of one of the Roman soldiers who actually drove the nails into his hands and feet. Maybe imagine sitting with him in that space and what he would say And how he would treat them. And how he would talk to them. Let's up the ante one more time. Imagine sitting with Jesus in a space with your worst enemy. How is Jesus talking to them? How is Jesus treating your worst enemy? How is he sharing with them this meal? How are you being together? And in that space in your imagination of your heart ask him Jesus how do you do this I don't know I don't know how to do this but I know I want to be more like you help me show me how to do it I've been apprenticed to you this is a good place to start your training in Christ likeness the good place reading the scriptures reading the gospel read the Spend some time reading Luke chapter 6. Spend some time meditating on this. Uh, Spend some time reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are great uh, passages for you. Uh, Like I said, Dallas Willard calls them the curriculum for Christlikeness. And spend some time in prayer, like this one that I just shared with you. Because it's a good place to start training for Christlikeness to learn how to love our enemy. Amen?